Hi, my name is Dylan, and welcome to Save It for the Blind podcast. Today, we are talking with our hunt program coordinators about the hunt program. How are you doing, guys? Good. Thanks for having us. Of course. So today, we're going to talk about the hunt program and what kind of capacities you you guys are involved in and all the different areas and elements that I think the hunt program with California Waterfowl does provide for kids or people that are just wanting to get into hunting. So I think kind of the first starter question that I'm kind of curious about is how did the hunt program get started and what was the original ideas for that? Yeah. So the, the hunt program that we know it today in terms of the kind of lottery based system, um, private properties kind of for the the public consumer started in 2009, but Previously to that, we were doing youth hunts and family hunts at some properties that we didn't own yet, but we had access to. And then basically, you know, we had a lot of um, relationships with landowners, right? So, you know, the economy in 2009, you know, everything's kind of going south. And it was just another way to kind of provide a service to our members. And, you know, the goal was to hopefully bring in a few dollars as well. Um so we reached out to all the landowners and said, Can you guys donate and open your open your properties, you know, to our members um, so people can go in, apply. We we do not make people be, be a member when they apply, but if they do win a hunt, they have to go now. So, like, in its infancy, I mean, 50, 60 people a year, right? And now we're close to 3,000 hunters wow. a year. So we have definitely have grown a ton and not only waterfowl, but – deer, turkey, doves, and then if you take our veteran program, we do, you know, fishing trips, and we've sent people to Alaska and things like that, you know, on all expenses paid. Um, so, yeah, we've really grown, you know, a ton, and that was mainly due to us acquiring some properties through, you know, grant funding and other ways, and then just still our outreach and whatnot. And we've had some, you know, some tough times. We've had huge droughts. We've had COVID during that time and we've continued to grow. So all those things are, are great, but it just provides an avenue for just the regular hunter that may or may not have a ton of access to go in and, and hunt a place that they probably never would have unless they knew a, a landowner. So, you know, we provide that service. So the, the number one reason why hunters get out of hunting is the lack of hunting access. So, yeah. so that is the void that we're trying to fill. Um, so if you look at our numbers, you know, we were basically an equivalent to a smaller refuge, the number of people that we put out on the landscape a year. So that's something that we're extremely proud of. But, um, yeah, it's just been growing every year. And, and we feel like we provide very quality hunting experiences where, you know, our people that attend, you know, they like it because it's not necessarily the what can be a combative experience sometimes on public property. You know, we space out blinds and we provide boats and decoys and, you know, UTVs and things like that where, you know, it's a quality experience. Um, You know, not every single experience is the best hunting of your life. You know, we would love it to be, but um, it's just quality from when you get there until you leave. It's just a nice experience you could bring, you know, a first time hunter your kid, your wife, your best friend, whoever it may be, and just know that, you know, ducks or no ducks, everything is going to be a nice process, you know, and that's what we kind of really strive ourselves on in terms of the hunt program. But 
What do you think, Carson? Yeah, I mirror that completely. I think um, in addition to the general hunt program, like Jeff was talking about, we do um, some camps over the waterfowl season where we are able to get out brand new hunters and match them with a mentor. We call them mentor guides. They're volunteers that we have vetted that are safe, experienced, um, and we'll get out there and take these new hunters that have signed up for our camps and actually take them out into the field, teach them because, you know, I can't be out there with 12 different groups at our Grizzly Ranch property and I got to be back uh, making sure everything's fine. So we have all these people taking out new hunters, kind of passing on that tradition of hunting. So it's, it's their way to give back to the hunting community. Um, along with those camps, we do, you know, kids camps during the hunting season. We have one at Birdhaven Ranch, which is the same thing. Those kids are going to go get their hunter's license and then they're going to have a mentored hunt that next day where they're going to be in a safe environment and they're going to be given somebody with them that knows exactly what they're doing. Um, so the experience that they get is going to be complete, safe, and fun. Uh, and that's what really I kind of key in on as a hunt program coordinator is these experiences that are allowing these new hunters to get out there. Our general hunt program really caters to those hunters that have the experience and are able to, you know, apply. If they get drawn for a hunt, they can go out there and do them themselves. But these camps uh, allow those folks that have never done it before to then go out and hopefully by the end of the weekend be able to successfully go out by themselves and kind of bridge that gap of becoming a hunter that just has their hunting license and doesn't know what's going on to a hunter that is now confident in their abilities to set decoys, call ducks, ID birds, uh, no bag limits and go out by themselves and to continue that tradition. He's seen as well as I've seen people from our camps come back in just a general hunt program, hunt by themselves. I actually have a gentleman that has attended my duck camp three years ago as a brand new hunter he took what we taught him, ran with it so much that he is now coming back as a mentor guide to teach other people. Wow, um, awesome. So that kind of revolution of new hunters to old hunters and teaching is, I think, what really, for me, the hunt program um, is about when it's not just about, you know, the general hunts that we we put on. Yeah, and in particular, the duck camp that Carson's mentioning, it. It's kind of A to Z if you want to get into waterfowl hunting. And like he mentioned, we've had a ton of people that, you know, they're what we call adult onset hunters. They're adults getting into hunting for the first time. And that camp, duck camp, provides everything that you need to go out hunting if you weren't, you know, particularly waterfowl hunting, if you've never been brought up in it. So that's one component of what we call our R3 programs, which is recruit, retain, and reactivate hunters. So we have our main hunt program that we kind of call our general draw um getting people out okay we have you know a duck camp which you're you know you're re you're introducing people into it you're recruiting them um so with all the programs that we do at california waterfowl which it is the hunt program our youth camps which is called camp sprig our duck camp stuff college camp, et cetera, it's all kind of geared towards what we call these R3 initiatives. And this is a nationwide push, um, and we've been doing it for you know 20 years basically, um, just providing these opportunities for people to get into hunting because, um, as we know, access is the biggest barrier to get into it. So we're kind of providing the access and then the knowledge to kind of stay into waterfowl hunting. And I can't – countless folks of, you know, brand new 
we've seen families like get into it as a family and like 10 years later, like they're just avid, you know, mm-hmm. go to the refuges, like they're just in it. Um, and to me, that's been super gratifying to, yeah. to know that you had a part in that and to see that they're like just flourished. As, yeah, as definitely. Yep. Yeah. When you guys were, you know, growing up, you both come from kind of a hunting background. And so, you know, obviously you are part of something that probably did not exist for you when you were younger. Yeah. So does that give you kind of a leverage to provide something for the younger kids or college kids that maybe you wish you would have had? Well, I, th- I think it's it's the big dilemma we have nowadays in hunting is there's, you know, there's two trains of thought. You either come from a hunting background and you have that um, figure in your household or a friend or a neighbor that guides you um, through kind of the, the stages of hunting. And then there's the mostly, like Jeff mentioned, the adult onset or onset hunters that are, you know, 20 plus years of age. They're getting into it for a multitude of reasons, whether it's they want to harvest their own food, whether they found it interesting. And they don't have that figure um, to lead them through all the rules and regulations, what to do. And and we try to serve as that gap filler as best as we can. And I don't think um, there's a better program out there than ours to do that when we can provide, I mean, our duck camp is two fully guided hunts with mentors, um, food and drink, uh, instructions on how to apply for refuges, uh, decoy setup, calling. And at that, by the end of the weekend, like that person who has no clue is a full fledged duck hunter. And that gap, the only, the only thing that in my mind is not the greatest is we can't do more. I mean, it's only myself and, and doing two of those in a duck season along with all the other duck hunts takes up most of my time. I wish we could do it every single weekend, but we just can't. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and that would be such a benefit to, to anyone if it was offered so much, but I think there also is that balance of it's almost sought after. If there's not that many, it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I make this a priority for myself to go out and learn. And I'm sure it's very intimidating. I mean, like I said, I don't come from a hunting background, so if I were to not be with California Waterfowl, there is no way. I mean, as outside of going with my husband to go hunt or whatever, like there's no way that I would just go up and find out how to go hunt by myself. Yeah, no, no way. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's daunting, right? I mean, it's a it's a challenge. But we're we're seeing people now like they saw something online and they're wanting to like, oh, I'm gonna Google California hunting, and like we'll pop up with all of our programs. You know, and that's where, like, oh, they have women's hunts? Oh, wow, they have these duck camps or whatever. And that's where we get a lot of people, you know, into our programs. It's kind of through that avenue. Mm-hmm. Do you see, um, you know, like, the kids that come to Camp Sprig, do you see them eventually kind of full circle and then do, like, a draw or anything? Do you see that full circle, and how does that make you feel? I mean. Yeah, the, the camps are hard. Well, because the kids grow up, right? So you're like, like, hey, Jeff. And you're like. Hey, <laughs> like hey, it's you know Tim. We're like, hey Tim, hey, you're my hunter instructor. Like, eight eight so years later, and the kid has a beard. And I'm, and I'm like, what year? <laughs> you know, and they'll tell me you're like, oh yeah, I remember, but they look so different, right? But yeah, there's there's definitely that. Um, but the thing with you know the kids, unless the parent or someone in the family is a hunter, mm-hmm. you know that kid gets their license and and they're not they're not able to go right, and that and that's the thing with you know the R3 program, that, that, that dynamic is tough, right? They need to have someone that's a mentor that's going to take them out because there's no other opportunities. If you're a 12-year-old and you want to go, 
and there's no one to take you, yeah. you're not going, right? You're supposed to do walk. Yeah, you can't go out by yourself. So, um, you know, that's a barrier. Um, yeah, one, yeah. One of the things that we did recently with CWA and myself and Jeff is created a how-to video series that we're going to be putting out that yeah. is hopefully going to bridge that gap for, you know, somebody who's not going to be attending those camps can go watch those videos. And it's not as in-depth as, you know, being at that camp, but it'll give you right. basics of duck calling, um, what you need to have equipment-wise, where to set your decoys and why. Um, so be on the lookout for that on our YouTube channel because that's going to be coming soon. But there'll be a whole series of videos that we put out that will hopefully for new hunters try to bridge that gap a little bit more. And this will be a good kind of like intro to, you know, duck calling and all of those things. Even if you before you go buy a gun or like any of those right. more heavy, you know, tasks. I mean, even just duck calling. I mean, you know, Jeff, I know that you are <laughs> really good at some duck calling. So, I mean it probably takes a lot of practice and right. confidence to do that in the comfort of your own home first. Oh yeah, definitely. I, well, I mean, even like, you know, you got, you, as you, you just got your hunting license, mm-hmm. you had to go to a class. Okay. I got a guy, got a hunting license. I can go hunting. Okay. Now <laughs> you need to go register to go buy a gun. Now you need this to go buy the ammo. So it's just all those little hurdles that you have to jump through that are hard where, you know, with some of our programs, you know, we provide a lot of that, gear, let's say, where it's like, we get the phone call, hey, don't come from a hunting background. I don't have any gear. Can I sign up for your event? Yep. We got waders, jackets, loaner gear, whatever. What do I need? Like, just pack some warm clothes and a sleeping bag and we'll, <laughs> we'll see you there. And, and we we try to really like, the cost of the event is super reasonable for like the weekend. I mean, it's less than a hotel room would cost yeah. you. you get food, <laughs> lodging, all that good stuff. Um, so, but that, that's, what's hard with the R3 program in general, you know, across the nation, there's no, it's hard to put scale on it. Right. I mean, we need these programs going every single week throughout the country, you know, to really make a huge dent. I mean, we're, we're trying our best and little by little, we're, you know, getting new hunters. Yeah. As, as two people, we're doing the most we can. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) So, um, you know, I know that you mentioned the hunt program hasn't like a existed for a terribly long time yeah. so and i know that the you know the original plan was just to have provide something that wasn't there already to, to give more opportunities um so was that the original goal for it or you know was the was the goal to just have something else at cwa that you guys could provide well i think the original goal is you know be able to provide access to hunters you know, if we're able to make the connection kind of for them, right? So, I mean, obviously it's really hard with access in general. If you don't know the landowner, you know, very few people have the guts to go up to someone that they do not know and knock on the door and say, hey, could I have hunting permission to come out here? Especially in California. I mean, it can yeah. be pretty challenging, right? So we're able to make that, you know, that bridge because we have the relationship with the landowner and say, hey, this is what we'd like to do. This is how we're going to structure it. This is the liability that we're going to provide you. This is the plan. And we had a lot of landowners say, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. So we're just able to help the hunter with that access point. So um, I don't think when it started, I don't know if we knew how big it was going to be now and we're continuing to grow. Um, but like I said, when we first started, it was, you know, 50 hunters a year. Right? We're, we're doing that at one Hyundai now. Right. Yeah. So easy, easy. <laughs> one property, one hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the scale, right? So it's just has continued to grow every single year. 
Yeah, and our, our only limitation is access and properties. If we continue to get access and continue to get properties, it's going to continue to grow at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I see that return in the people that you take out. I mean, whether it's Colton Mikovitz from the 49ers or it's a, a child that's wanting to go to Camp Sprague for the first time, I think you see that result at the end of the hunt or the camp. And you see it in their face that they just got their hunter's ed yeah. and they're excited about it and they can't wait to go and brag to their friends. Or, you know, you you get someone like Colton that you're getting other football players that are going to come out and hunt. And I think that only just amplifies what you guys do because no matter if it's, you know, the concept of hunting or just having a good experience, I mean, it's an overall positive one in general. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something good to have just for you guys as well. I mean outside of the hunting world because a lot of people have their own opinions so yeah yeah i think that's just you know opinions in general um the concept of hunting like when we do college camp right most well everyone that comes to college camp you know is going to graduate or has graduated a degree in wildlife biology none of them are hunting background some of them are vegetarian you know it's it's a gamut of backgrounds but they know hunting's important right they don't grasp the hunter's role in that. And then, like, after the weekend, like, they they get it. Yeah. They, they're like, I, I see why people do it. I support it now 100%. And so to show more people about that, I think, like, once you go through a hunter ed class, right? Absolutely. Or if you go out in a wetland, you're like, all right, start putting some of the pieces to the puzzle together and yeah. figure out what hunters really do. Because some people probably have, you know, an image of a hunter. And yeah. they think everyone's within that box. And that's just not the case. Well, and, you know, I think also if you didn't grow up with, like, your dad hunting and you, so you hunt or you're, you yeah. know, you're very closely knit with hunters, whether it's your cousins or whoever, or your friends, you see the people that you went to school with, and those people may not be your friends. So then you're seeing this image of what hunting is through a different lens that maybe not be 100% accurate. Yeah. I mean, when I went and was at the Camp Sprig with you guys, I was able to see from start to finish, one, how much work you guys do, first off, and then two, what all else goes into hunting. You know, it's not just shooting an animal and it's like, woo, it's looking at an animal, wanting to seek that out, shooting it, and then doing something else with it, whether you're putting more birds back out there or you're taking it home for dinner. And, like, it's, it just doesn't just stop with the gun and I think that's what's cool coming from somebody who doesn't grow up in that aspect you're Mm -hmm. getting to see the full circle and why that's important versus going to McDonald's and getting a burger I mean it's still an animal getting killed one way or another so would you want to be in control of you know the process of that animal or have someone else do it I mean that's the reality you're looking at Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people have lost the the process right yeah absolutely oh it's a steak Okay, where did that steak come from? Yeah. You know? So, but my experience has been, you know, people might not have hunted or has ever tasted wild game, but when you put them and put it in front of them, I think most people are pretty open to it. Like, okay, I can respect that, especially this day and age, you know, like foodies and whatnot. Like, yeah. Know where your food's coming from. I think people kind of, res- I think the respect on the hunter front is starting to make some waves. I'd agree. I think so too. Yeah. I think... I also think if if people are willing to listen, they're yeah. willing to understand, and then they can hear the different side of things. I mean, there's obviously certain people that I know, and they're like hunting, blah, and they don't want to listen. 
But if you can listen, then you can understand and you can at least see it from a different perspective than just your own. Right. Because you don't, I will never know any, everything, neither will you. And so it's always, if we're constantly learning, then we can always be getting better. And so I think that's what the hunt program does provide is the ability to learn more. (laughs) I mean, whether if you're the hunter or you're just the person that wants to understand more and learn and, you know, if you're the woman and your your spouse hunts and you're like, okay, I just want to learn more about the animals that they're shooting or taking home and hunting, that aspect is cool too. Like learning about the males and the females of birds and their feathers and just those sort of things I geek out to on my own. So that's been cool to know. Um, so with the hunt programs, you know, there's obviously the hunt programs with, you know, college camp and kids camps and stuff, but we also have the veteran hunt program. So how did that kind of originate and get off the ground and what kind of prompted it to get itself going? Yeah, so basically we had uh, a group out of Camp Pendleton that asked for some support on base for like decoys and stuff. And um, at the time, you know, running the hunt program and all that, and it's kind of in its infancy as well. And basically got a call from one of our fundraisers to say, hey, you know, we'd like to host these this group of, you know, at the time they were part of is called the Wounded Warrior Battalion. So it's actually guys, you know, going back into rehab and whatnot, but they're still enlisted. We'd like to host them up at Grizzly Ranch. So I said, yeah, I got it, coordinated it. And basically we provided, you know, a week's long of water, waterfowl hunting, food, lodging, all that. I had a bunch of um, volunteer guides stay the whole weekend, cook all the meals, like really did it up the whole weekend, right? And, um, Scott Mueller had wrote an article kind of about it the weekend in our magazine. And once it hit mailboxes, I got a couple phone calls from um, a couple club members down in the grasslands. Is hey, we'd like to do that. I'm like, do, do, do what? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, Elaborate, like, please. Yeah, uh, we'd like to, to host veterans at our duck club. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, sure. And then um, we had a local group. At the same time, they contacted me. like, hey, we like, want to get a bunch of our guys with their Hunter Ed. Perfect. Yeah. You know, so I got them their Hunter Ed, and then we sent those guys down to the duck clubs in the grasslands. So that was um, 2011 was our very first hunt at, with the Wounded Warriors. 2012, we did a little pilot program and sent the veterans down. And then in 2013 is when we actually made the – the actual veteran hunt program with the official logo and had a bunch of um, more landowners come up and we actually started pushing it out and made it to what it is today. But um, yeah, so basically essentially we provide um, private access for free to veterans. So they would sign up, um, food, lodging, and then we usually give them goodie bags, shotgun shells, hats, you know, challenge coins, all that good stuff. Um, but that's kind of how it started. It wasn't necessarily a vision, you know, yeah. but we did one hunt and there was just traction on it. And then I just kind of took it and ran with it. And then the goal was always to have a veteran run the program. Yeah. Right? I'm not a veteran myself, but so I ran it for a very long time. And then um, I had a guy, uh, Colonel Mike Peters, just like bugging me. Hey, I want to help. I want to help. I want to <laughs> help. Like, hey, I got it. Yeah, you want to help. And finally, like, hey, let's talk, right? Yeah. So like, we talked, and I absolutely love Mike. And so so Mike took it over and was doing all the stuff I was doing on a day-to-day basis on getting people registered, 
sending them on hunts, dealing with all the landowners, getting all the stuff there, et cetera. And then kind of as he, you know, moved, moved and retired, um, Mike Kellogg came on and now he's kind of running the day to day. So we, you know, all collaborate and kind of where the program's going, but you know, they're two people that, you know, they're veterans themselves and they're volunteers for California waterfowl running the veteran hunt program. And that's what the goal was once we finally made it a real program, you know, early on. Um, and we're finally there now and it's just, they've took it and ran and it's just been extremely successful. And it's probably one of the proudest things I've done, you know, at CWA and kind of, cause you could meet guys and meet people and like their stories, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, Hey, I was in some rough times and like that hunt was like turning key, you know, and especially yeah. like early on when we were doing the hunts with the wounded warrior battalion, I mean, it's, it, we're still in conflict, right? And not that the conflict hasn't really stopped, but I'm just saying like these guys were wounded recently, like sometimes within weeks and then like at the hunt. So it was yeah. like, you listen to them talk, it was, it was pretty eye opening and just kind of humbling being around those types of folks, you know, um, in terms of just a you know, regular citizen. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in most recent, you know, we put out the, the veteran hunt video and, um, I think kind of what you realize is, you know, you see, you see these individuals, they're veterans, they're in the military, they're going to fight for our freedom. And, you know, they obviously endure a lot from all of that. And so when they come back, you know, you think, you know, that you're fighting for your freedom and you're, you're supposed to be coming back like good to go and you don't really come back free. You know, you come, they, they, a lot of them come back with PTSD or anxiety, stress, and like all these other mental health matters. And so I think that this has created sort of an outlet for, for these individuals, you know, whether it's because of hunting or just for, you know, these individuals to bond with one another over the the stuff they've seen and yeah. had to do. And the, the biggest thing that we get from these guys is like, this is the camaraderie that yeah. I missed. Like that's yeah. what I hear over and over yeah. and over again. It's like, this is what I missed when I got out is a camaraderie. It's not even the hunting the ducks. It's being with those guys the night before. Yeah. Like that's what they want. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. But it goes back to the, you know, the NFL team, like just being around the guy. It's just, once you're removed from that, it's tough. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes like after duck season, when things slow down a little bit, you're like, man. <laughs> now what? Well, it, right? <laughs> like, I haven't seen Jeff in like three months. <laughs> yeah, I, Jeff hasn't called me in a, one day. What the heck? <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like you, people will need to be around pe- people and you need those connections, right? Yeah. And that's those guys, you know, and, and, and females, they come back and they get removed from it, right? Yeah. So this is an opportunity to plug them back into their own community and we've had a ton of guys, you know, make their own connections with the hunts. And, you know, now they're off hunting with their the people that they met at the event. So that's what the program is really about is, like, it's all about the healing and the camaraderie, you know, at the hunts. So we just we're, – we're a facilitator of yeah. that, right? <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, kind of like we spoke with earlier, I mean, you care so much about, you know, whether it's hunting or being the provider for it, you know, any of those elements you – you have such a passion for hunting as an umbrella. Yeah. And so when other people are getting involved in it, that, you know, it, that it's helping them or that maybe just talking to you is helping them. I mean, I think that speaks volumes across all levels. I mean, you can't sit here and say that you don't love a veteran. 
because that person is doing something that is so unspeakable and can't be returned. You know, all the things that they have to go through in order for us to get to come on here and have a podcast and talk about hunting, you know, like they are doing, you know, the Lord's work, if you will. And so it's, it's cool that we do have this program that provides that for them so that it kind of provides sort of an ease out of working in that field to, to this one. Yeah, definitely. So the hunt program this year is going to offer a bunch of different hunts. Most of the times we're going to offer, you know, the ducks, uh, geese, turkey, dove. Um, So we're going to have all those this year, but we're also going to have pheasant hunts down uh, at Goose Lake, which is down by Bakersfield. We have uh, two deer hunts this year. One of them has already been drawn for, but one of them will be drawn for coming up in a few weeks. Um, Fall turkey hunts dove hunts, pretty much you name it. We also have some pig hunts that will be going every other week at a property in the Bay Area. It's been very successful so far. So if you're interested in those, look at calwaterfowl.org under the hunt program. You can see our hunt descriptions and then apply from there. Nice. But the draw for the deer. Draw for the deer will be this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So So by the time this comes out, somebody, hopefully somebody watching this will be drawn. How much yeah. does it cost? Only a buck. Five, Five bucks. bucks. Close. Five bucks. It was a joke. <laughs> it was a deer joke. You missed say, it. Whoo. That was a deer joke, wasn't it? He's yes. not a big deer guy. You yeah. know where I, I heard a different a joke? joke, but I won't say it, but I heard it at <laughs> the Camp Sprig, and I was like, I'm going to have to take that one to the bank. One of the kids? Was it the girl <laughs> that liked the Shastas? <laughs> Shastas. Shasta. That was funny. I miss her. I hope she's doing <laughs> yeah. well. So, so five bucks, and then uh, yeah, twenty five bucks, bucks to attend the hunt. Unless you're a youth hunter, that's free. That's true. Huh? Everyone has five bucks. I mean, that's like going to the ice cream truck. Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. Inflation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, seven. Yeah. Um. So you know, with those you know types of hunts and with hunting on the horizon, what kind of what is our properties looking like? What yeah, are, they, so, how are they doing? So I'm kind of um, in charge of getting our properties ready in uh, the southern part of kind of what we call, you know, the state, but it's basically from Susun Marsh down while Jeff is in charge of the northern area. So for me, um, Grizzly Ranch is looking great this year. We got a ton of rain, as everybody knows, through December, you know, through March, which takes down the salinity. We get a lot fresher water, which we're able to grow uh, better food out there for the ducks. So that's looking great. Uh, on the 22nd, which is 10 days away, we're actually going to start flooding that property, which is the earliest we've flooded it in a long time. So that's also a bonus. Denverton is going to be different this year. So Denverton is our other property in the Susun Marsh. Um, it has a large chunk of it has gotten taken over by an invasive tumbleweed. And we have figured out that the only way to kill that tumbleweed is to flood it completely, which kills the seeds. So this is the first time ever that Denverton hasn't been dry since duck season, and it won't be dry all the way, basically running through hunt season. So as far as what we're expecting, we don't really know because we've never had this happen before. There is a lot of cattail growth throughout the property, um, a lot less open water. So I'm my guessing from my experience in seven years of being at Denverton and running properties, I would guess we're going to have 
hopefully higher uh, mallard numbers with the cattails growing around, but it might be lower overall numbers because there's not as much uh, open water around. So that's still to be seen. It could be the best year we've ever had. We've just never had this situation before. Um, but if we were to leave that tumbleweed the way it is, it would completely outcompete all of the natural vegetation and we would have nothing there except for tumbleweed. So it's something that we have to do <laughs> yeah. uh, to take care of it. I mean, if you're from the Midwest, it's perfect. Well, yeah, Just not like here. down. <laughs> so Susun yeah. properties are looking good. Um, further down south, we have an island out in the Delta called Quimby Island. Uh, that has been great for us. We actually installed, I believe, three or four new blinds last year, which made a big difference in our hunting. It improved our hunting quality immensely. Uh, they've been doing lots and lots of dirt work out there. A lot of the units previously were the elevations you'd be walking right here at one point, and then the next point you'd be all the way up to the top of your waders. And we took um, big tractors and leveled those areas. Okay. So it's going to be a lot better for the hunters that we have out there. The blinds are in the right positions. That property has been on the up and up the last three years, and it is uh, a very, very highly sought-after property in our hunt program. Yeah. And then further south from that is our Goose Lake property, which is all the way down by Bakersfield. And that one's always a toss-up. We never know if we're going to have water, if we're not going to have water. Um, but we have come to realize that this year we're going to have the most water we've ever had down there. Wow. Lots of water we have this year. Lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> we have two units down there. One is called the Houchin unit, and one is called the Badger Almond. Um, and both are basically going to be flooded to capacity, which we've never nice. had. Yeah. So there's going to be tons of opportunity down there. We're also going to have planted pheasant hunts down there as well. So the folks that are down in the Southern California area are going to have lots of hunting opportunity for uh, CWA property Goose Lake. So keep an eye out for that on our hunt program site. And food growth down there. Food there growth. Some I, of the water grass yeah, units the, down there are impressive. Yeah. There is a lot of, of food. So I'm excited to see. It's, it's interesting because everybody kind of, um, as a hunter, really eyes the Butte Sink properties as the jewels yeah. of our properties. But our Goose Lake Badger Almond property, it opened in uh, late December last year because the ducks don't really migrate down there until later in the year. But from December on, that property had the highest bird average out of any of our properties. Wow. So it's definitely an overlooked property. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Now, at each of those, at each of these, you know, properties – and, you know, I know you say ducks, and obviously there's waterfowl and mm -hmm. things. Is there specific species of these ducks and birds that I can find at each of these islands if I'm hunting one specific thing? Pretty, yeah. It's pretty specific to it's, the property, I would say, depending on where you're at. Like Sassoon Marsh, you're going to get a lot more spoonies, teal, et cetera, like a quimby. Mallards are usually the number one bird taken, wood ducks. Down south. Teal yeah. spoons. Um, we also have Staten Island, which isn't a CWA-owned property, but we have a lease that allows us to hunt it, and that's basically for the first bit of it is all geese, and then the ducks show up a little bit, and then it goes back to being strictly geese pretty much after. So we do have hunting opportunity out there this year as well. It's going to be rice blinds yeah. um, just as it was last season. Yeah, so that's a partnership with another nonprofit um, to provide you know access. So that's been really good success-wise, um, plenty of space between lines, um, the amount of birds the island holds as a whole. Is, can be impressive. <laughs> can, can be, be very, very impressive. impressive. Yeah, and then, you know, you go back up in the Butte Sink, and, you know, Sanborn is, I would say, more of a mixed bag. You could shoot every single puddle duck that's out there. You know, or Butte Creek Island Ranch, tournament on the time of the year, it could be high on wood ducks, 
and then, you know, mallards and then, you know, widgeon and things like that. But like at Sanborn, they'll shoot everything in one day, teal, gadwall, spoonies, <laughs> pintail, mallards, where Butte Creek, not so much. It's but, kind of more specific because it's a little bit tighter, um, mostly all smart weed and whatnot, kind of thicker. Yeah, how are those properties looking this year compared to previous? The best that they've looked since we've owned them, and I would say they look, you know, prior to our ownership of <laughs> them, you know, best they've ever looked in a long, nice. very long time. So Butte Creek Island Ranch, kind of status quo, ton of duck food, smart weed, watergrass, particular Sanborn, you have smartweed, watergrass, and lots of Timothy as well. Because we have, you know, Sanborn is kind of long and narrow. So, like, the west side of the property is kind of pretty heavily treed and whatnot. And then the east side of the property, it's kind of like more of an open tule marsh. But we have did a ton of tule transplants last year, this year prior to flood up. Tomorrow we're planting a bunch of, um, you know, year-old willow trees, black willows. So, the property is on the up and up being Sanborn. We were able to redo um, the property a couple of years ago and with the droughts and some delays with pumps and electrical and whatnot. Um, this is the first year we're actually able to irrigate it in the springtime. So food production yeah. is, is obviously up. And as we go forward, I would say, you know, in my opinion, we're in, we're in year one of a three-year plan in terms of getting the property to where we want it with, you know, tule growth, trees, and food production from waterfowl particularly. So things are looking good, you know. Duck numbers as a whole, you know, locally, they're up. You know, continent's down a little bit, but there's going to be a lot of water on the landscape this year. So, you know, duck hunters tend to look at the numbers and, how are the ducks looking this year? You got to go, right? (laughs) I mean, to me, in in my opinion, it's all – where you're hunting, conditions, et cetera, if the ducks are in your area. Um, but the only way to go harvest a duck is to go out and try to go out in the field. So some people just won't go considering the weather or whatnot. I'm only going to shoot storm days. Some of the best hunts of my life have been on, you know, clear days with a little bit of a breeze, you know, so just yeah. you got to go. But the duck yeah. numbers tend to not, duck numbers my, are my opinion. I, th- I think the you doesn't know. determine success. Right. Correct. I think the biggest thing that we've seen this year that is solid facts is there is more water on the landscape. There's more rice on the landscape and nobody, nobody really knows how that's going to change um, from last year where there was the exact opposite of not very much rice on the landscape and not very much water. So those that did have water did really well. Yeah. Now everybody's going to have water. So it'll be interesting to see how those ducks spread out and use the landscape uh, accordingly with much more water and availability space-wise than they did in previous years. Yeah. Right. yeah the only thing, the, the rice crops a little, I think, later than normal. Mm-hmm. It's pretty green still. So that might, you know, if you have water early, might might help people out. But um, in terms of, like, refuges being fully flooded and, like, there's really no water issues this year. So in terms of that, people should be able to be spaced out. But ducks are going to get spaced out as well, right, with the abundance of water. Hunting's hunting. Some people get them and some <laughs> people don't. It's just the way it is. That's true. I mean, you yeah. know, you can do it a million times. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. So if you just don't go hunting, you won't get what you want. Yeah. And some people, they just, you know, just don't go or <laughs> do whatever and make excuses not oh, to go. Oh, man, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Saw the weather. I'm not going to go. Like, all right, yeah. I can't shoot them at home. Yeah, it's not like the ducks are – 
staying at home, eating chicken noodle soup, watching Letterman, right? I, I mean, I've been they're on, out still. Yeah, I've been on many a hunts with buddies, and you know, even if we're not shooting them, we'd look at each other. You go, somebody's getting them somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's somebody shooting them somewhere. It may not be where we are right now, but somebody's shooting them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're still out there. So, I mean, as far as the season and kind of the forecast looking ahead, are we feeling good? We looking I, good? I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. what we talked about. I, th- I think you know, hopes are high, but it's hunting season, and you know, we thought last year, so uh, soon having water and nowhere else having water, that we were just going to crush them in the first half of the year, and that wasn't the the case. So, you, you think one thing, and the ducks tell you different. So, right. we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll go with you know, hopes high and see where it leads us. Yeah, you just never know. But I would say, on a management perspective, the last couple of years has been pretty touch and go. Like, yep, we have curtailments. We can't flood. This is not going to be flooded. So it's been a game of what you could flood and what was avail- available. Or this year, there's none of that. It's like it's available if you want. It's it. It's a free for all now. Yeah, <laughs> if you, it's available if you want it and you want to pay for it. You know, it's, it's there. Be in the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not the ducks. Not the, not necessarily <laughs> yeah, the, the ducks will be there. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just between you guys, is there any property that you yourself are looking forward to going to hunt, if given the time and opportunity? Well, we don't really get to hunt our properties, so that that's, you know, I guess would say I'm excited about. I'm excited to see Sanborn continue to shoot shooting better every single year. Um, always excited to kind of see what Quimby does. You know, yeah. it's kind of, I think, one of our properties that – it's unique. We can't take a lot of people out there just because the access. Um, there's not a ton of pressure. So if you could blow a duck call and, and you like kind of being by yourself and amongst trees and whatnot, I think that's a pretty cool experience for our hunters. Um, but, yeah, it all depends on what you want to hunt. Like some people just absolutely love Denverton, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then some people will be like, I'm never going to shoot the Sassoon March. So it's just every hunter is different. It's a preference. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No, I think looking forward is kind of mirrors you. I, I want to see what Sanborn does as a numbers aspect. I mean, we keep track of our numbers every year and what it does. And this is the first year we've been able to actually irrigate, which is the key to growing duck food is irrigating. So I want to see if what we've done will translate to, you know, the numbers that we're thinking. Absolutely. Um, because if it doesn't, then it's like, okay, maybe we're doing something wrong. But yeah. in, in theory, it should. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, that's all I have for you today. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Cool. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Dylan. Thank you for watching this Save It for the Blind podcast. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe for more.